Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Into the new CFP rankings. Yes, vigorously combing through all the results. A lot of folks were up late last night waiting results. And what we see in the college football player ranking week two of them was one of the reasons that folks were up just waiting to see how people ended up voting. Maybe not the ov- overriding one nationally, perhaps, but the perhaps, overriding but one in, in our, circle, our little world. In our circle, yes, in our fiefdom. <laughs> it, it matters quite a bit. Exactly. Pat Forty joins us from Louisville. We'll get into this, Pat, but it didn't really feel like anything particularly earth-shattering last night. No, I think the the exit polls in the greater elections were more interesting probably (laughs) than these. But still, you know, some movement. We expected that. Three teams in the top six lost, and there's some ripples to be felt from that. And we'll go through that here shortly. Yeah, let's get into it. That is today's big story, and it is what happened last night in the CFP. Ohio State remained second. They did get passed by Georgia after the Bulldogs convincing win over Tennessee, I think everyone expected Georgia would be number one. Michigan's up two spots to number three. So the Big Ten's got two of the top three. Those two, of course, remaining on a collision course. Had wondered what would happen in the fourth spot. It goes to TCU over Tennessee. The Frogs still unbeaten. Rest of the Big Ten, Penn State up a spot to 14. Illinois' loss to Michigan State drops them five spots. They are number 21. Uh, let's do the big picture first here, Pat, and then I think we'll dive into the the Big Ten and get a sense for what you guys think of where Ohio State and Michigan are relative to one another. But let's start with that four spot and TCU and Tennessee. To me, that was probably the most interesting point. It didn't feel like TCU got a lot of respect in the opening week. Tennessee, the convincing loss to Georgia. Some people wondered whether they might stay at four. What do you think of TCU instead being the team at number four? Yeah, I, I sense there was maybe a little bit of a correction from the committee there that they might have felt like they undervalued TCU, and I, I think they did. And and they, they corrected course and put them ahead of Tennessee, which drops from one to five. And one thing's uh, commission, uh, selection committee chair uh, Boo Corrigan said last night is he views both Tennessee's and uh, Oregon's losses to Georgia as one-sided which means even though the, the margin of defeat was only 14 points in that game, everybody who watched it thought Tennessee was pretty well blown out in that. So I think that was significant in dropping them. And then also an appreciation for the fact that the Big 12 is pretty much top to, the, top to bottom a quality conference. There's no real weak links there. So for TCU to be 9-0 at this point, I think they were rewarded for that. 
and you get a defined delineation because it's a round robin every year in the Big 12. And, and it's interesting to see that the committee's message about TCU was so different this week versus last week, where last week it seemed to be a hindrance that they had all these comebacks and played these close games and that their defense isn't that stellar. And now this week we see where some other teams, you know, some of the upsets that take place, teams drop down a peg. And now that TCU is boosted up to number four, the way they're described is very different, that they're showing fortitude, you know, to be able to withstand some of these other opponents. And I think that because, you know, when, you know, for so many years of how a national champion was declared, it was about two teams. And even prior to that, it was just about one team sort of being picked by the media. And now that we have the current structure of the college football playoff prior to its expected expansion here, but there's always that conversation about which conference is going to be left out or perhaps multiple conferences that end up being left out of that four-team picture, and it strikes me that the ACC is in a really weak position at this point with Clemson dropping down and not having any heavyweights remaining on their schedule. And Clemson hasn't been that impressive throughout the entire season anyway, but now it feels like the ACC is going to be the team on the outside looking in. No doubt, and there were a lot of people, I think, who were a bit stunned by the respect that Clemson got from the committee a week ago, and then to go into Notre Dame, a team that's lost to Stanford and Marshall, and just absolutely get throttled right. in the way that they did speaks volumes about kind of where Clemson is. I, I do find Tennessee to still be really interesting, and mm -hmm. I'm interested in what both of you guys think. Tennessee, obviously, barring some sort of crazy circumstance, isn't going to make it to the SEC championship game. They do not have a particularly challenging slate here down the stretch. So it's entirely conceivable that we could see Tennessee as an 11-1 team at the end, and then I think the question becomes where they might fit in as a potential, let's say, number four, even though they would likely face Georgia. And we, hey, we already know how that one came out. It, it could be an interesting position for the committee. I believe that, that Tennessee's position is, is really intriguing, but then you do have the fact that even though Tennessee has already taken down LSU. You do have an LSU squad that's going to have the additional possibility because they're in the opposing division in the Southeastern Conference, LSU, after taking down Alabama. Now they're in a position where, yes, they've already got two losses, but Florida State is now in the top 25, and, and while Tennessee is still there at number five, LSU, if they're able to win out and go on to win the SEC championship, then you're going to see, I, I believe, LSU end up leapfrogging a team that throttled them on the field earlier this season in Tennessee. So for the moment, Tennessee is in a good position, but they're in the other division and they just got throttled by Georgia. So I think LSU is, is frankly, in a stronger position for their finishing kick than Tennessee is. Interesting. We'll, we'll get into the Big Ten teams here in a second, but Pat, I want to give you the last thought on the national scope here, whether it's those SEC teams or anything else that stood out to you last night. Yeah, well, kind of going down the trail that you started there is I think we are headed for some potential real uh, uh, fascinating kind of parsing of the of one loss teams I'm not, I'm gonna assume that Georgia looks as good as they're gonna look that they, they're they're winning out we're gonna have a, a big 10 champion I think that is undefeated then you're gonna have does TCU run the table or not you're gonna have one or two spots that are probably gonna go to one loss teams and that's the Big Ten East runner-up. Is that Michigan or is that Ohio State? And then you've got Tennessee sitting there. You could have TCU at 11-1 or 12-1. You could have a Pac-12 champion at 12-1. And, and how do those teams get stratified and ordered is going to be, 
I think, where this committee ends up having its biggest controversy. I can see that coming in a few weeks. There's obviously a lot of football to be played before then, but for right now, that's kind of where I'm looking that this thing's headed. It is fascinating, and obviously the LSU scenario that you brought up, Anthony, is contingent on them beating Georgia right. in the championship game. But if we follow the logic that Pat's going with, that Georgia does win out, I think one of the areas that gets really interesting is Georgia has already played Tennessee, and they've already played Oregon, and they beat them both really soundly. Mm -hmm. And so now if one of those teams or both of them is under consideration for the fourth spot, what do you do if, hey, we've already seen this game <laughs> and, and we know how it ends? It, it is really fascinating. I do want to get into the Big Ten teams. Obviously, we are the Big Ten Network. Uh, what do you think of Ohio State still being ahead of Michigan, Pat? Because it does feel like Michigan's looked better on the field here recently. Is this simply a byproduct of Ohio State's got what's looking like a better win after already you know, spent some time not trashing Notre Dame, but calling into question how good Notre Dame is. They're still in the top 25, and Ohio State beat them, and Michigan didn't play anyone in the non-conference. Is that what this is about, you think, why Ohio State is still ahead of Michigan? I think that's it specifically and explicitly. Uh, Boo Corrigan, again, for the second week in a row, brought up Michigan's non-conference schedule as a factor. Uh, and I think you look at that and you say, hey, this isn't a vintage Notre Dame team, but Ohio State went and played Notre Dame. Notre Dame obviously came to Columbus, and, and they beat them. And this Notre Dame team now is, is looking better. They are in the rankings, whether they should be or not, at number 20. And so that win gets better the more Notre Dame wins. There's nothing in the non-conference resume that can help Michigan. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Complete non-factors. Nothing that happened there is going to help them. It only hurts them, especially in consideration that they had a Power 5 opponent and dropped the game. So I think that's probably the factor on why Ohio State's still ahead of uh, Michigan. I started kind of the, doing the transitive property thing a few weeks back when comparing Ohio State and Michigan. And we're, of course, getting closer and closer to their collision course. So on the surface, it won't matter as much because it's going to play out on the field. I, I'm intrigued by the fact that the Illini are still ranked at number 21 because for the moment, the fact that Ohio State and Michigan have both played Penn State and Iowa, that comparison is there. And frankly, when you look at, you know, like Ohio State controlled the Iowa game more than Michigan did, but Michigan blew out Penn State by a much wider margin and controlled that game more than Ohio State. So let's call that transitive property a wash. But Michigan does, in addition to having the game at the end of the regular season, Michigan also has Illinois on its schedule before then. So in building up toward that game, like I, I think Maryland is going to be a challenging contest for Ohio State, but Maryland's not ranked, and Maryland's coming off of another loss. The Illini coming off of a loss and still being at number 21 in the college football playoff poll, that shows a level of respect the committee is, playing to, is paying to Illinois. So that will be another data point of respect if Michigan is able to handle its business in the regular season versus Illinois. And I think, to me, it bolsters the potential for a one-loss Michigan team, even if they don't end up winning the Big Ten championship game, I still think it bolsters the potential for a one-loss Michigan to be a second team in the Big Ten. I feel like right now the conversation is a one-loss Ohio State definitely has a chance and maybe Michigan doesn't. I believe Michigan has a great opportunity here, and the committee showing respect to the Illini is part of the reason why. And I would say Michigan probably ought to be rooting hard for Illinois against Purdue right. this weekend to yeah. make that a better game. And you might say, by extension, Ohio State should be too because if they were to face them in the Big Ten uh -huh. championship game, yeah. again, as you kind of look toward how are we enhancing our resume, and you can maybe make the same argument about Maryland against Penn State that from Ohio State's point of view, hey, let Maryland 
come in here with some momentum and pick up a big win because then that would be viewed as a more significant win. So Illinois and Maryland, those games this week, obviously Illinois is significant because of whether or not they end up winning the Big Ten West or throwing it into sheer chaos. But Maryland's maybe interesting as well. Anthony brought up the potential here, Pat, of two Big Ten teams. So as we kind of wrap this up, what does this tell us? What does Ohio State being at two, Michigan being at three, tell us about the potential, if there is one, for two Big Ten teams? Oh, I think there's definitely potential for that. Uh, I agree, given the conversation you guys, you, you just went through, uh, like Ohio State with one loss would have a better resume than Michigan with one loss, just purely based on non-conference. Both of them would benefit from Illinois continuing to win and presenting itself as a quality opponent and staying in the top 25. Uh, but I think it's very viable. I mean, I especially if TCU loses and we are looking for multiple one-loss teams uh, to fill out with a an undefeated Georgia and an undefeated Big Ten champion, I, I think the loser of Ohio State-Michigan in a good game, a close game, definitely has a chance to remain in the rankings on Selection Sunday. And, of course, the, the amount of, of one loss and well-regarded Pac-12 teams, there's, kind of, there's two things that are kind of unique about these first couple of weeks of the college football playoff rankings. One, that like I referenced, the Pac-12 having five teams, that's the second most teams in the top 25 right now. And the Pac-12 has been an afterthought in the CFP for so many seasons at this point. But also there's no group of five darling that's legitimately in the mix. So it does feel like we're setting up for perhaps, I'm probably speaking too soon here, but perhaps a cleaner finish to the, the college football playoff rankings, where at least we're kind of going to know what are the big games, who are the power conference teams that are in the mix, and who remains on their schedule. And we can kind of see that play out week in and week out without sort of having to factor in, hey, what did this group of five team do back in September right. when they played a fi- power five team, and how does that relate to the current stance? No doubt. I mean, like, Tulane is a great story, but they're not going to make the college football right. playoff. So, no, I agree with you. I mean, look, Oregon's really fascinating here. I mean, kind of the way that they have recovered from the Georgia game. Yeah. They still have to play Washington and Utah. They've USC got and games. UCLA, man. Like, UCLA yeah. should probably be higher than right. 12 right now with what they've done so far. And then, you know, Pat brought up TCU and Texas and Baylor. Those are two really tough games they yeah. still got on the schedule and then a, a Big 12 championship game. So, there's still, I know we kind of look at this statically often and say, well, this team will win from here on in. That's uh-huh. typically not the way that it works. Chaos, Dave. College football. Chaos we, on the way. We, we may have some chaos. Pretty time win for Ohio State's women's basketball team to tip off the season last night. 14th ranked Buckeyes beat number five Tennessee, 87 to 75 in Columbus. They were down by 12 at the half, but came storming back in the second, outscoring the Lady Balls 30 to 13 in the third quarter. Guard Taylor Mike Sell finished the game with a game-high 25 points. Great celebration on the court as well. Megan McEwen is here, a women's hoops primer for us. That seems like as good a place as any to start, though, Megan. That was an unbelievable game, particularly in the second half. It felt like everything Kevin McGuff wants to do, right? They play great defense, force a ton of turnovers, force tempo on Tennessee. That was the blueprint of what Ohio State wants to be. The Buckeyes beat Tennessee because they forced 29 turnovers and scored 37 points off of those turnovers, which is absolutely bonkers. Ohio State did not play well in the first half. They came out, only shot 39% from the field, which is very low for them. And Tennessee really was able to dictate pace in that first half. 
but then the switch flipped and Ohio State came out with that defensive intensity with the press in the third quarter especially. Mixed up the pressure in a 1-2-2 and a 2-2-1, so it kept Tennessee on its toes. They weren't ever able to establish a rhythm, and as a result, Ohio State just took off. They finally dictated pace by the end of that game, and my goodness, the way they blow that game open in the third quarter was unbelievable. It was really exciting, and, and so a huge win for them. It's just the 12th time in school history they've beaten a top-five team, and to schedule a game like that as your opener is gutsy, but man, if you get it right and you win the game, it really builds some momentum. The biggest knock on the Big Ten in general is, yes, you get all these teams into the tournament. Last year, the Big Ten had six teams get into the tournament. But then everyone says, well, what are you doing once you get to the tournament? Well, when you get the experience in the non-conference, like scheduling top five, top ten teams, that's how you build the confidence and the ability to win close games early on and then make those long runs when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Ohio State's not the only team that's going to play a top team in the country in the opening week. Maryland plays South Carolina, yeah. defending national champion on Friday. Yeah, that's Friday night. We'll get to Maryland here in a second. I, I want to talk about Indiana next. They played last night. They beat Vermont handily. The knock on Indiana last year, particularly when they had their injury issues, was that it was not a particularly deep team. They addressed that somewhat in the transfer portal, uh, particularly picking up Sidney Parrish, who I know is a really highly thought of player. What does all this mean for IU as you watch them last night and kind of assess where they are depth-wise? Because we know they've got star power, mm -hmm. but are, are they deeper than they were a year ago? What's interesting about Indiana is the Hoosiers weren't exactly known as a three-point shooting team last season by any means. In fact, they only made about... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus five a game which ranked in the lower third of the big ten but now they go to the transfer portal. They add Sarah Scalia, who's a guard from Minnesota, who shot 41% from three last season. And they have a freshman from Israel named Yardine Garzon, who came in, hit five threes last night. She is a great size at over six feet tall. And her ability to play inside-outside really gives Indiana another scoring dynamic. They already have Mackenzie Holmes, who's one of the best post players in the country. Fantastic footwork. So once you get the ball inside to Holmes, defenses collapse. And now Indiana has not one, but three if you include Cole, uh, Chloe Moore-McNeil, three-point threats on the outside. Indiana's going to score at a lot higher pace this year. Interesting. Uh, lead eight team, obviously a sweet 16 team over the past couple of years, so we'll see whether Terry Moore and And we didn't even talk about job. Grace Berger, by the way, yes. who is the no, returning, one of the best guards in the country. He's now playing point guard, yeah. but she's doing a fantastic job as a result because she's so used to having the ball in her hands, but Indiana's offense allows her to still come off of ball, uh, screens rather and create.
Berger and Holmes, as we said. There's star power there. There's star power in Iowa City, obviously, as well, with the biggest star in the game in Caitlin Clark and the highest regarded team, I'd say, coming into the year in the Big Ten. What needs to happen for this team to make a deep tourney run? That was the disappointment last year, the, the loss to Creighton. What will it take for them to be one of the teams playing on the final weekend? Teams who make deep tournament runs have experience, and that's exactly what Iowa has. For the third straight year, the Hawkeyes return the same exact starting five, including guard Caitlin Clark, who led the nation in scoring and assist a season ago, the only player in men's or women's basketball to do that. But now Iowa has a little bit more depth, including the addition of guard Molly Davis, who came from Central Michigan. She averaged nearly 19 points a game there. When Davis comes in the game, it allows Clark to also have the option to play off the ball, meaning she can just focus on scoring versus also having to focus on contributing. So Molly Davis is a fantastic addition to that uh core group because she has the ability to play at a high level she can score but also distribute yeah really exciting team they're going to be a ton of fun to watch they host Evansville tomorrow you can see them on Big Ten plus Maryland's fascinating to me and and you touched on them a moment ago they lost a ton in the portal as we know they also picked up a ton in the portal what's your assessment of this team one that is traditionally among the elite in the Big Ten. Maryland got the best transfer in the portal this offseason in Abby Myers, who's a guard from Princeton. She was the Ivy League player of the year. She averaged nearly 20 points a game for Princeton. And in her opening game against George Mason, dropped 19. Abby Myers has that three-point shooting ability and just understands how to win. Princeton held teams to 50 points a game last year. So Abby Myers also possesses that defensive ability. Uh, you have Diamond Miller, who's back again, who, in my opinion, is completely pro-ready with her body at 6'3 and the ability to score at will at three levels. She did get injured earlier in that George Mason game. Brenda Free said it's not a huge deal. We just didn't want to push it as a result. But also look for Lavender Briggs, another player uh, who transferred from Florida, who can be really uh, dangerous for this Maryland team. Cheyenne Sellers came off the bench, who was the sixth woman of the year last season for the Big Ten. So there's so many different pieces and a lot of depth that Brenda Free still has, despite losing so much to the transfer portal. And she talked about it like this is just the new day and age. This is what it is. But you go out and get Myers, as you said, she's five of six from three the other night. We'll know here soon. You, you mentioned the game against South Carolina, but they also play Baylor, Notre Dame, and UConn. And this is conference. nothing – Brenda Freeze always goes out and schedules yeah. the best of the best, and it's yep. the reason why her team ends up in the top four in the Big Ten year in and year out. This Maryland team, even though there's no longer those bigger names that we're used to seeing, like Ashley Owusu, this team's not dropping off that, that far. Yeah, uh, so really fascinated to see how they do here going forward. Again, we'll get a good read on them. I mentioned I didn't want to focus too much on some of these – early games because the opponents are lesser opponents and whatnot. But, Which, by the way, we need yes. a rule. You can't schedule D2 or D3 teams or teams that we haven't heard of in the non-con. <laughs> I mean, come on. Give us a little something to enjoy as a fan. Okay, so Nebraska took on Omaha. Uh, they scored 100 points. And I, I am breaking my rule of not talking about these early games because it might be the craziest box score I've ever seen in my life. They scored 100 points. Zero of them came from the free throw line. They did not make a single free throw. And then every player who played, 10 players, all hit three-pointers. So do we read anything into this, or was this just some sort of 
crazy anomaly with a team that was one of the best stories in the Big Ten a year ago. So apparently Amy Williams is only practicing threes in practice, and they're not shooting free throws at all. I'm kidding, by the way. But Nebraska puts up 100 points. Last year during the non-conference, Nebraska at one point averaged triple digits in points per game. But what's scary about Nebraska is the fact that everybody does have the ability to shoot threes. Last season, Nebraska led the Big Ten with 279 made threes, and every single player out there is a threat from beyond the arc. It's scary because not only are guards a threat, but also the bigs are a threat. Alexis Markowski, the reigning Big Ten freshman of the year, has the ability to step out as a post player and knock it down. There's so many different players. Annika Stewart as well, who's a bigger player for them, has the ability to come out and knock threes down. That just spreads the floor offensively for Nebraska and allows guards like Jazz Shelley to drive into the paint. Preseason top 25 team there. A team that traditionally is pretty good in this league, Michigan State. Last year did not make the NCAA tournament. Susie Merchant, though, a new five-year contract, so there's certainly confidence in her. She has a great history in East Lansing. Give us a sense of the Spartans coming into this year and whether they could be a bounce-back team. Michigan State has depth for the first time in a long time. Susie Merchant has said, we are no longer the team that has all of those injuries. Merchant was able to go into the transfer portal and add two really nice players, including Kamaria McDaniel, who actually ranked second in the Big Ten when she was a freshman at Penn State. She went to Baylor in between, and now she's landed herself at Michigan State. But the Spartans also were pressing a ton in their first game. They kind of debuted a diamond in one press, which they implemented a lot last year, but not that much. But that press allowed the team to turn the ball over and play a lot faster. They returned guard D.D. Hageman, who was fantastic a season ago as a freshman, as a distributor. Matilda Eck shot more than 40% a year ago. Hageman and Eck were both first or all freshmen Big Ten teams. I can't say the award sometimes. There's so many different <laughs> words you got to include yeah, in there. Exactly. There's a lot of them. But as a result, Michigan State has some scoring experience back in their young talent, but also has experience on the bench. Moira Joyner came off the bench who had to sit out last season due to injury quite a bit. And she had uh, double-figure scoring, 14 points in that game. So now Susie Merchant can look to the bench, and there's not a huge drop-off when it comes to scoring ability. See if they can bounce back and be a tourney team. They have been 10 of her 15 years in East Lansing. Fascinated by Rutgers. Mm -hmm. See Vivian Stringer obviously retiring in the offseason. Coquise Washington, who we certainly know from her time at Penn State, takes over. The depth of the roster is limited, to say the least. I mean, they literally have eight players mm -hmm. on the roster. Uh, they did get a win in their opener. They have some good players. I mean, all their yeah. starters scored in double figures, so it's not like there isn't talent there, but how challenging is it going to be to make it through a year with eight players? It's incredibly challenging because you always have to factor in injuries. They're bound to happen at some point or another just due to the wear and tear of a basketball season over the course of five months. But what's interesting to me about Rutgers is they added a transfer uh, named Abby Streeter, and she can shoot the ball. She was three for four from beyond the arc in that win earlier this week for Rutgers. And if Rutgers can get that shooting ability going, it's going to open up a lot, again, on the interior for their guards to come in and make plays. And I just am curious to see, though, how the core – Maryland's, or excuse me, Rutgers starts three players who stayed on the team from last year. So that core is really going to have to be strong and solid for Coquise Washington in order for this team to have a shot at making a run in the Big Ten. Two quick teams I want to ask you about. Give me a quick sense of Wisconsin. They opened, the, or uh, uh, Michigan, I should say, they opened the post-Nas Hillman era 
tonight. What should we expect from the Wolverines? Michigan is still a very dangerous team. They return Leah Brown, who can score at will. They return Emily Kaiser. Layla Filia, I think, could have a breakout sophomore year. And Maddie Nolan is a sharp shooter who everybody has highlighted on their scouting report. Michigan is still going to be a very good team, despite the fact Nas Hillman's no longer there. Team on the fringes of the top 25. And then I do want to ask you about Wisconsin, because you've got that game, a, a really unusual doubleheader in Milwaukee at the Brewers Stadium on Friday. You can see it here on the Big Ten Network. They take out Kansas State. The men battle Stanford. This is a rebuilding project, as we know, at Wisconsin. Where does it stand here in year two for Marissa Mosley? Marissa Mosley was able to go into the transfer portal. She had a great transfer in Holy Cross as Avery LaBarbera, who had nine rebounds in their opening game against Milwaukee earlier this week. So she's a point guard that can score the ball, but also rebound. And when she's able to rebound the ball, Wisconsin can get on a run and play a lot faster. Been a struggle for them. Been 12 years since they've been to the NCAA tournament. See if she can build it up. She's got such a great personality and, and really fun to be around. We'll see whether the, the Badgers can turn things around. We'll watch that game on Friday. Fantastic. Cannot wait. Megan McEwen, great stuff. Looking forward to another season of Talking Women's Hoops with Purdue and Illinois. Saturday will go a long way toward deciding whether the West enters chaos mode. If the Illini win this one, then beat struggling Northwestern in the season finale, they are your West champs. The Illini D allowed three TDs last week after giving up two in their first five home games combined. The Purdue matchup features the Big Ten's top receiver in Charlie Jones against an Illini team that easily leads the nation in pass efficiency defense. So, lots to chew on there. Pat, why don't you lead us off? What interests you the most in this game? Well, Jeff Brom, Mr. Upset Special, has had a couple of uh, good surprise wins this year. They won at Minnesota. They won at Maryland as an underdog. But the last couple of weeks have been pretty disappointing. This is another one of those opportunities where you kind of look and say, okay, here's here comes Brom to, to throw some chaos into the Big Ten West. Uh, if you're Illinois, you got to regroup. You, you'd been on such a run. You'd been playing at a, such a solid level. And you took a big step backwards against Michigan State. Got to regroup now and still keep your eyes on trying to get to that uh, West Division title and get to Indianapolis. Neither of these teams have been there. Both of them super motivated to make that step and get to a Big Ten championship game. It was an opportunity for a West Division clincher. If the Illini could have taken care of business the other day, they didn't. Michigan State got their upset, and now Illinois has to respond. Now, the good thing is, I'm sure when the Illini went back and evaluated the film, just snap by snap, they played fine. There, there were certainly some things that they want to refine there. They're not accustomed to giving up touchdown passes this season, but the offense moved the ball well. Tommy DeVito threw it with accuracy. Chase Brown put it on the ground, which he really never does. He did that multiple times in the game. So you don't necessarily come out of that game feeling like you were out-executed in every phase against the Spartans. So I would imagine that should at least enhance some confidence for the Illini to say we have to focus back in on the details. But... They're looking at film also seeing that Purdue faced a lot of man coverage against the Hawkeyes last week, even more than Iowa would, would normally play. They mix a lot of zone and man concepts, like I talked about going into that game. But I would imagine the Illini and their secondary would look at Purdue and say, we feel like we can go out there and what we love to do in just manning guys up on the outside can be an advantage for us. Surprising how mistake-prone Aiden O'Connell's been here these last few games. I mean, five interceptions now in the last two games. They really need him to be great to be the team that we think they can be and, and that they've shown themselves to be 
on prior occasions this year. They do. And I mean, you know, only one touchdown and five interceptions just over the last couple of games. And we don't know. We've seen Aiden O'Connell be a little bit inconsistent over the years that he's been there. There's a reason he hasn't been the full time starter throughout his career. But a part of his emergence has been his peaks have been absolutely spectacular. But when he's not good, there's been a reason that Jeff Brown has pulled him from the lineup a couple of different times here. But we don't see Aiden O'Connell have three bad games in a row. And he's coming off of two games that are very substandard for what we're accustomed to seeing from him. But he's facing a secondary that has. Like, I was secondary. He's carved up in years past, and he didn't play well against them. He struggled against the Illini secondary. And Sidney Brown, their safety, has had a lot of mammoth hits on his tight ends and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be film from the last couple of seasons to look at and, and try to feed off of. And certainly for this week's game, it is at least a different Purdue offense that has more balance to it than the Illini have faced. And just in general have come out flat. I mean, the last two games they've been outscored 38-6 to in the first half. Yeah. So, we'll see whether or not they come out as motivated as we would believe they would be with, yeah. as Pat was talking about, how much is on the line. Wisconsin and Iowa, this is the teams starting to feel good about themselves, mm. Bowl, Pat. Uh, both teams coming in with some positive momentum. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the seasons that looked like they were just absolutely going off the rails, and uh, they've regrouped, which you'd kind of expect from Iowa and from Wisconsin. Super solid programs. Jim Leonard has done a very good job since stepping in there, uh, and I think kind of riding the ship a little bit. Uh, Wisconsin... And then Iowa's offense has really gotten it together. you got to give them credit for doing some things better, offensive line playing better, getting receivers healthy, and just looking like a, a very much a different unit now than they had before. So, uh, you know, both programs are starting to resemble themselves now, and so this should be a really good game, really interesting. I would expect it's going to be low scoring, a bit of a slog perhaps, but uh, uh, I will be watching very interested to see who, who keeps the momentum going one more week. Uh, the, the weather storyline, we'll see what it's like in Iowa City this coming weekend. Also, it was really rough in Madison <laughs> between Maryland and, and the Badgers calling that game. But, you know, for the growth of these offenses, it's huge for these teams, for these fan bases where the offense and the struggles, there have been such a big storyline. And Iowa last weekend was the third highest scoring Big Ten team last weekend. So it was one thing to do it the previous week against Northwestern. Then you're able to go out there and do it against Purdue. So we're seeing that growth, that ascension week by week. A part of the reasoning behind it is they've sort of mixed and matched the offensive line throughout the season. It feels like they found a combination that really suits them up front. And we're seeing some of the youth being served for them in the backfield with not only the offensive player of the week, but the freshman of the week as well in, in Caleb Johnson in the backfield. So we're seeing Iowa now finding a way to move the ball both with the run and through the pass. Two straight weeks, season high in total yards. So that tells you something. Last Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Weeks have been their, their two best of the year and haven't turned the ball over once. Right. In, in either yeah. of those games. So you think about all the mistakes they were making early in this year. Facing this badge of secondary. This yeah, week, I was going to say, and yeah. this is a team you need to avoid turnovers against. Wisconsin does such a good job leading the nation in interceptions. So should be a fascinating game. Again, a couple really big ones here in the Big Ten West as we see whether or not this is a simple formula. They're both still in the mix, right? I mean, everyone's still in the mix. One game literally, behind. Literally, <laughs> Northwestern could still win this thing. We're back on Big Ten today. Our big stat focusing on the top units in the Big Ten. Offensively, Ohio State leads the way at nearly 46 points per game. That is tops not only in the Big Ten, but in the nation. Michigan also in the top five nationally in scoring. Pretty steep drop-off after that with Penn State, Maryland, and Wisconsin. The Big Ten remarkably has four of the nation's top five scoring defenses, with Illinois still leading the way at just over 10 points per game. Georgia's second nationally, by the way, in scoring D. And then after that, these next three, Michigan, Minnesota, and Iowa, are three, four, and five, respectively, nationally. (laughs) Ohio State's number eight in the nation. So that provides a little background, a little perspective for our Impact Five, where Anthony is counting down the top five coordinators Mm -hmm. in the Big Ten this year. Where are you starting? Uh, I mean, it it was a difficult task to try to sort of think through how the best way would be to to go about putting this list together. And I try to compartmentalize it a lot to this season and what their their roles have been. So let's go to Columbus first, where we know that the discussion around the Ohio State defense in recent seasons has been that maybe that's the side of the ball that's been negating some of that national championship potential that we know the Buckeyes have. They hired Jim Knowles. It was a big splash hire, and he's really been exceptional this season. We've seen Ohio State's defense grow almost on a weekly basis, certainly on a monthly basis to the point that they're at right now. You look at some of the recent metrics, they're amongst the best defenses in college football, but even just by Big Ten perspective, they're picking the ball off, being third in interceptions, second in allowing the fewest 30-plus yard plays in, in total on this season, and that's not something you anticipate for a defense that shows the variety of looks that brings the blitz with the frequency that we see Ohio State beginning to bring the blitz. And so Jim Knowles didn't throw the entire playbook at his guys right away from week one. But we've seen the defensive package and some of the exotics enhanced throughout the year. The thing that really stands out to me when you think about them last year, they could not get off the field. They were 100th in the nation in third down defense. They're 10th this year. (laughs) That is a significant jump Uh and really speaks to addressing some of their issues. The biggest challenge clearly still to come. We'll see how they do against Michigan when the Wolverines just try to line up and and run it down their throat. Who's number four? Well, number four is a guy who's got some new paper. You know, the announcement just came out today from Champagne that the Illini decided Barry Lenny Jr. was a guy they wanted to make sure they kept in the mix. And we saw Brett Bielema do this last season as well. We saw him say that I've got a talented coordinator within the walls here in Champaign. Let me make sure we keep him around. They did that last year with Ryan Walters in his first season with the program. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And it's not that every metric, when you look at the Illinois offense, makes them look like one of the best offenses in America. But the growth of Illinois' offense this season has been exceptional by comparison to where they were last year. And part of that is because you have a new quarterback in Tommy DeVito. You go out into the portal and get a guy you think can run your system. But we've seen Barry Lunny sort of tweak how he operates offensively. It's not 
all this spread and all this tempo. It's kind of a melding of what Brett Bielema football has traditionally been and a run first approach, the leading rusher in America the entire season, but also one of the top pass catchers in the Big Ten and the new juice Isaiah Williams. And then the leader in completion percentage, one of the leaders in efficiency, one of the leaders in touchdown passes in the Big Ten conference in Tommy Bosco. So you got all these different elements of the offense that are coming. Oh, yeah, Tommy Bosco. All these different elements of the Illini offense that are coming together at an extremely high level that make them dangerous week in and week out. I'm with you. I mean, they were 53rd. They're 53rd in the nation in total offense, which doesn't sound great, but they were 112th last year. Right. So I do think it is relative. It's kind of where have you been and and where are you now? And then, to your point, on the new contract, where could you be right. when you start implementing it with all players that, that you've recruited? There's something to be said for recognizing. System and yeah, all that. like yeah, having absolutely. continuity of the coaching staff matters. He's, and He's done an unbelievable job with the really staff. Is. I mean, he is a fabulous, fabulous staff. Okay, who's number three? Let's go to State College for number three. I mean, this is a player that well, this is a coordinator on offense and Mike Yersage for Penn State, who we know the expectations are always going to be high in State College. And frankly, Manny Diaz, the, the new defensive coordinator, was a bigger storyline this offseason because folks were trying to figure out who are you going to pair with Anthony Porendexter and Penn State's defense has been exceptional this year. But Mike Yersich, what he's been able to do in growing this Nittany Lions offense, it's one thing to be able to drop back and occasionally have an explosive pass play. They've been there season over season, but now having Sean Clifford, the experience there, and now multiple years within the same offense for the same program, that tutelage, that communication has grown with how they operate. And at times it's been multiple quarterbacks because Sean Clifford has gotten banged up. We've seen multiple running backs. And you and I and a lot of folks around this network have talked so much about the Penn State run game and what it lacked last year, number 13 in the Big Ten. Now we've seen that growth. I mean, this season alone, they've had more 20-yard plays than everyone but one team in the conference. The rushing attack, rushing touchdowns that were awful for Penn State last year, number four in rushing touchdowns this season as well. So now we see a growth, a versatility to Penn State's offense where they've got playmakers at receiver, tight end, and running back finally. And it does come down to kind of what we started the segment with. Do you score? Yeah. Last year they scored more than 33 points twice. They've already done it six times this right. year. So that is a right. significant improvement, no doubt. Coming down to the nitty-gritty here, who's number two? Number two is a guy that you just look at the the totality of the career that Phil Parker's put together as a defensive coordinator at Iowa, and you think you could kind of put him on this list every year. But think about this season. Think about the consternation. Think about the way that Iowa fans have really been rather upset, with good reason, about (laughs) the lack of offense, the lack of scoring that's been there, and weekend. Week out. This Hawkeye defense has continued to go down there and shut opponents out. They continue to take the field and at every level showcase playmakers, a variety of defensive linemen who wreak havoc on the opposing side of the line of scrimmage without needing to blitz. Linebackers who not only tackle sideline to sideline, but can take the football away in a secondary that will tackle you in space, that every opportunity they get for an interception, it feels like their DBs make that play. And they are not just some cover two shell defense. Folks kind of compartmentalize what Phil Parker does in that vein, but that's not it. You look at that film last week against Purdue. They manned up against one of the top passing attacks in the country and one of the offensive coordinators in Jeff Brown, one of the play callers that has carved them up over the last couple of seasons. Phil Parker said, I like my matchups, and it showed for the Hawks. Oh, it's like a lifetime achievement award for him. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. every right. single year, but uh, you hold six teams to 10 or fewer points in this day and age. When you're getting very little assistance from your offense. You're really doing something. Who do you have at number one? 
I've got Ryan Walters at number one. And I know I referenced earlier where Barry, Barry Lenny Jr., he got his contract extension. Barry, Brett Bielema did this with good reason with Ryan Walters last year. And there's not a phase of their defense that's ineffective, and he hasn't even completed his second year there. By comparison to where the Illini were when Ryan Walters joined Brett Bielema last season and where they are right now, they hit blocks in the run game. They will wreak havoc with their scheme and bring pressure, but they don't have to. And in the midst of having guys, it's usually a down three alignment, but you have guys who convert from run hit block hitters in the run game to pass rushers and being able to do that so effectively. And they just play with urgency, snap in and snap out with energy over and over again. They don't allow anything easy to the opponent. And coming off a loss last week, I do not envy the Boilermakers yeah. offense having to go up against the Illini. And so you see not only schematically, but the mentality that Ryan Walters brings to the table. There's not a more impressive coordinator in the Big Ten Conference, perhaps in all of college football, when you look at everything that they do well. Giving up nine touchdowns in nine games. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, Pat, your job, though, every week is to argue somewhat with the list. Do you have any quibbles here? I would say I'm surprised there are no Michigan coordinators mm. on there because I, I, I think they've done them, a really Dave. good job. There's well, a lot of them. They've done a really good job on, on both sides of the ball, but I don't know where I put them in. Pat, what do you think? Yeah, that's where I was going to start. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.